Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does, they charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. On a dark, cold, wintry night, I like nothing more than encasing myself in the hide of a bear that I hunted using my uh, bear hands and then starting a fire using all my enemies before drinking a hot cup of revenge. Uh, But obviously, that's a bit tricky for some of you to do. And I am all about universal ideas that work for everyone. So instead, uh, if you've got a cold bum and seek some comfort for yourself or loved ones with cold bums, then why not head to British-Boxers.com for their range of luxury casual wear, what is all made ethically and by properly paying people and doing all the stuff that I wouldn't even have to mention if the world was a better place and everywhere was run by nice types. But it's not, which is why I must seek revenge. Sorry, but... As it is, uh, British Boxers are a great company to support, not just because they're lovely people, but also because their jammies are well nice, as are their night shirts, undergarmentals, and they've even got a section called Kids and Pets, which obviously sells clothes for kids and pets, not actual. sell kids and pets, like that. Luckily, by having ears of taste and listening to this podcast, you can get 15% off any purchases at British-Boxers.com by using the code PARPOLBRO15! So go do that right now. Or you could hunt a grizzly and destroy a cartel. But I mean, to be honest, it is a lot of work. It's quite tiring. Ethically, very dubious. Maybe just buy some nice PJs instead. Hello and welcome to the Partly Political Broadcast, the comedy politics podcast that is compulsory in shops and public transport. I'm Tina Duyeb and this week, as the health secretary and star of 70s children's cartoon Bod, Sajid Javid, says new coronavirus restriction methods will mean people can enjoy Christmas with our families. Wow, I mean, that would be a first. That can't be true, can it? Unless they include a ban on having to talk to each other and someone else entirely doing all of the cooking. It's long been my suspicion that the Conservative government see quite a lot in common between themselves and COVID-19. I mean, for a start, they're both parasitic entities that prey on the vulnerable. Also, they're both deterred by masks and they wait until people have become wise to their bullshit and then they change and adapt to the situation, making sure they're ever prevalent and have an ongoing presence in the UK, whether we like it or not. That is sadly where the similarities end, as there's no vaccine yet for this government, otherwise people would be camping outside medical centres asking for all three jabs at once, screaming, I don't care where, just stick it in my eye if you have to. This understanding of the virus and willingness to accept it as part of the nation's day-to-day operations can clash with other government ideology and create problems, though. I mean, this week, we've seen a new Covid variant from abroad. Yeah, one of those foreign ones. Not like the good old Kent variant that we know and love. No, I won't call it Delta, because why would these woke commentators refuse to acknowledge that we, in this here country, made that variant and have now successfully exported it worldwide with huge uptake? Other countries should be grateful for British, nay, English innovation once again. It's the Kent variant, okay? All right? None of them Greek words. And suddenly, though, this threat of foreign bodies from overseas, so-called Omnicron from Africa, has turned up wanting to come over here and no doubt take the Kent variant's job and all our hospital beds. There was a time, you know, back in the days of the Empire, when a country like Africa... Sorry, sorry, what do you mean it's a continent? Yeah, all right, mate. A country like Africa would just accept that they have to embrace viruses from Britain in order to live a more civilised life. Or die a more civilised death. Or or cough a more... Anyway, you get what I mean. 
We simply can't accept this as a sovereign nation, and so restrictions must return in order to stop this Omicron. Not loads of restrictions, mind you, as little is known about the new variant, and there is a chance that maybe it would want to invest in this country by laundering money through unsafe property development. And frankly, it's a virus, so, you know, it deserves a little bit more leeway than anything actually dangerous, you know, like people desperately seeking refuge. Six African countries were added to the red travel list with only a few days' notice for travellers to quickly get to the UK without any hotel quarantine times. And masks are now compulsory again on transport and in shops, but not including hospitality, which I think could be the country's brand new slogan in general, as it really does fit everything the government do. Booster jabs are now being rolled out to everyone, though they did obviously go to the age groups that mostly vote Conservative first. And schools have been given some sort of vague guidance because the Department of Health has to try and remember what they are first and if children are important or not when they can't even vote or do any lobbying. The Prime Minister of Vacuum Pack Mattress has been attacked by foxes of a man. Boris Johnson held a press conference on Saturday which contained so little substance it was almost incorporeal and likely caused the Ghostbusters hotline to go off several times. But he did say the government would be taking the most responsible cause of action to slow down the seeding, which is something many of his former partners have no doubt wished for before too. And the Prime Minister said they will be waiting for three weeks to review the measures, because nothing says responsible like leaving it and just seeing how it goes. Johnson insisted no one should change their plans and that this Christmas will be better than last year's but that is a very low bar and it could just mean that he's going to breach rules this time by having three friends over to look after his kids and will maybe manage to go on at least one free holiday from someone he gave a peerage to but probably not two. There is no clue yet if Omnicron, with its name like an alien overlord or a game for the ZX Spectrum that had a soundtrack consisting of fart-like sounds and a toy with its batteries running low, there's no clue if Omnicron's symptoms are more dangerous than Delta, but the World Health Organization has assessed its risk level as very high. Japan have closed their borders to all foreigners, as has Israel, but here in the UK, we know best, which is why you have to wear a mask at Aldi, but there's absolutely no need to pop one on at a concert at the O2 with 20,000 other people. I mean, why would we want to defeat the virus when we can merely confuse it with our stunning lack of consistent logic. Chief Scientific Officer and what if Elmer Fudd was looking into a bright light, Chris Whitty, said his greatest worry was whether people would accept new restrictions, which is a concern as it's very, very hard to follow rules that absolutely no one's sure of. It's like trying to join in with the words to a song that you've never heard before and you're certain it's just an instrumental. While there is a safety-first approach to travel from Africa in terms of COVID, the Home Office has taken a completely opposite approach when it comes to people legally seeking asylum. After 27 people died trying to cross the channel last week, the Home Secretary Priti Patel, whose existence, I should say, provides hope in the inevitable human-robot war of the future, as she shows people can care even less about humanity than any AI, well, she, she opted for the most compassionate response she could manage to that tragedy. Which was, of course, to say it was all France's fault and they shouldn't have let them cross in the first place. There it is. There's that glowing compassion. There is nothing more caring than saying it's other places' responsibility to save lives because we're just fine over here trying to kill our own population first, so stop making it harder for us by adding to it. Patel also blames criminal gangs that take people over and what she calls the pull factors to the UK. Listen, if people are still willing to travel here despite our current government raging COVID and rivers full of shit, then there's probably very little you can do to put them off. Is it that they're thinking of the old meaning of an asylum and they're just heading here knowing full well it's a place of people thought to be a danger to the outside world and themselves and maybe they just want to help? That is one possibility. Maybe we should have Pretty Patel's smug smirk projected across the White Cliffs of Dover, though I am worried that would also ward away the sea too. There are actually fewer people trying to seek asylum in the UK this year than in previous, but boat crossings across the channel have increased because there's no longer any safe ways to get here otherwise. Patel's plan seems to be to make people really want to risk everything, including their lives, to come here, as though she's seen too many films where the characters risk all and go on impossible journeys to reach a magical place. Unfortunately, though, none of those films end with them being washed up on shore, only to be greeted with more disdain than a pandemic. The best way to stop crossings and unnecessary deaths would be what the French government suggested, which is a centre for UK officers in France just for them to legalise asylum seekers. But that would, of course, mean that the asylum seekers would be processed and then have to be given a safe ferry over, which would mean they'd actually arrive here and no one dies, and Priti Patel isn't willing to give up on the things she enjoys in her life just to help others. The French government cancelled their planned meeting with the Prime Minister and Home Secretary on Sunday, which I think is a missed opportunity, as they should have kept it, but on the condition it was only if Johnson and Patel arrived by dinghy. The reason, though, was because Boris Johnson decided the best way to cooperate with French President Emmanuel, my hair is styled at an ice cream parlour Macron, was to publicly tweet a five-step plan that mostly revolved around them there on the continent doing all of the work. 
If the world was a flat share, Britain is the housemate who never tidies up or buys the milk, but will happily post a weekly rotor of chores in the hallway that has everyone on it except themselves. Johnson's five-step plan also continued to treat the issue as being relocation, like the crisis will be handled if you just put refugees in next door's garden and let them deal with it instead. But I suppose as long as the government pretend that that is a way forward, then there's no need to tackle climate change, stop funding wars, or admit that migrants and asylum seekers aren't the same thing, but are, when it comes down to it, all human beings. Patel warned that a lack of cooperation in France would mean more deaths, which sounds like a threat, and I'm worried her main plan is to patrol the channel herself with a harpoon like she's always dreamed of. I am being unfair, as the Home Secretary did say she'd ask the media to reflect on their use of the word migrant to describe the people who drowned, which does sound like there's some acknowledgement of the constant dehumanising of those who just want to stay alive. At the same time, she hasn't said what word she'd be suggesting they use otherwise, and I'm very concerned she'll want them to go for prey. Labour's deputy leader and what if Blackley Forest had wood elves, Angela Rayner, unveiled the party's plans for stamping out corruption in Westminster, which sounds like what's needed, but it's already hard not to imagine that party leader and plectrum for a face Keir Starmer will U-turn in days and say it's not stamping out, it's merely slightly nudging with a slipper-covered toe before he then offers some business CEOs all of his belongings. Rayner's speech announced the reforms they would do if they got into power, because it's always nice to imagine the impossible, and it would include ex-ministers being banned from lobbying, consultancy or any paid work relating to their job for five years after stopping being an MP, which would be really good, but my concern is currently the Conservatives get around that by just making everyone they've ever known appear instead. Since the Deputy Leader's speech, the Common Standards Committee have put in their own recommendations, which if enforced would mean Boris Johnson would have to declare the cost of his free holiday in Ibiza. But the full report won't be out till next year and any changes will require a parliamentary vote, so it does feel a little like dancing around the problem with some nice suggestions. I'm very sure Johnson will fit in at least eight more holidays before is even considered. As Rayner gave her big speech, Starmer showed just how much of a tight unit the opposition are by reshuffling the Labour cabinet at exactly the same time so none of the political journalists paid attention to his deputy. Labour are consistently the sort of party that, as a guest to a friend's wedding, would use the bit where they say speak now or forever hold your peace to propose to someone that they fancy instead. The reshuffle included demoting Chin, Nick Thomas-Simmons, from Shadow Home Secretary, though it's unclear why, as he'd spent the past week providing excellent opposition to Pretty Patel by mainly complaining that people were coming over here and it was all her fault. Yes, that is the two sides to politics that we need in this country right now, the two sides that represent all the people in Britain, the party who represent those who are terrified of immigration and think it's all France's fault, and the party who represent the people who are terrified of immigration even more than that. Such a diverse range of ideas. In his place is your aunt who always complains in restaurants, Emily Thornbury. Already the Conservatives are dredging up her tweet from 2014, where she took a pic of a white van in Rochester outside a house with England flags on it. She was accused of snobbery at the time, but now it seems like it might have been a really smart move, as all Emily Thornbury has to do when in debate with the Home Secretary is show that photo on her phone to the opposite benches, and Patel will be debilitated in battle as she immediately orgasms. Labour MP for Cardiff Central and whose real calling in life is running one of those shops that sells cushions and absolutely nothing else you ever need, Joe Stevens, has gone from being Shadow Culture Secretary to Shadow Welsh Secretary, which much of the media called a demotion, in yet another misunderstanding about how Wales is, I mean it's a country, it's pretty important, and also about how not having to shadow Nadine Dorries, you know, with all the intelligence of a road accident between two pie vans, that's basically a holiday, not having to do that anymore. I'm certain you can only do that for a maximum of six months before you'd have to go through some sort of decompression. So why this reshuffle in Labour? Well, um, it's overdue. It was meant to happen a while ago and only happened a little bit. But also you do wonder if maybe, maybe an election is in the Covid heavy air. Maybe. I mean, after Boris Johnson's speech to the CBI last week that seemed to be largely about Peppa Pig World, Downing Street had to release the statement that the Prime Minister is not unwell and has not lost his grip. Yeah, I'm sure he is. That's why you have to release a statement like that, isn't it? About something absolutely no one would question otherwise. Except we would all the time with him, probably for the last 10 years. But it's actually a shock that Downing Street didn't go the other way and insist it was something he'd done on purpose. The Prime Minister is merely avoiding health and is choosing not to hold on to things like sanity because he's decided to cut down on both as part of a personal goal. In the bizarro universe we're clearly part of now, the Justice Secretary and only fully laminated human being, Dominic Raab, had to dis Johnson's comments on a TV interview, stating that he used to watch Peppa Pig with his mum, which is odd as it started in 2004 when he'd have been 30 years old. Actually, I say odd, but no, I can, I can imagine that is true, that is, that is almost definitely true. Raab also said he visited Peppa Pig World once and it was a day he'll never get back, so I'm guessing that was when he was Foreign Secretary and he spent the whole time there trying to find out who their equivalent Secretary of State was in order to have a diplomatic meeting. 
After his shambolic speech, the Prime Minister was called to meet with the 1922 group, the name referring to the year they all get their ideas from, which prompted rumours that there might be a no-confidence vote in him from the Conservative Party. I don't believe that's true, but only because it'd show they finally have notions in line with the public, and I'm not sure that's ever going to be the case. Apparently, there's a secret WhatsApp group of Redwall Tory MPs where they're all plotting to install the woman for whom the term bird brain would mean she'd had an upgrade, Liz Truss, as party leader instead. I mean, firstly, it's not a secret group if it was reported about. And secondly, <laughs> Liz Truss. <laughs> Can you imagine? Can you imagine what would happen to the party if a vain, clueless moron was in charge? Oh, oh yeah, I suppose it'd just be more of the same, but they'd probably win again, but this time with even more horrendous Instagram pictures. Oh, God. The SNP are tabling a motion in Parliament of no confidence in Johnson to take place in the Commons, probably by the time you hear this. It won't go through, but I'm very glad they're doing it. And at the same time, I sort of think, only now? I mean, I suppose it's all in the timing, but it is depressing that mentioning taking his son to a theme park is somehow more devastating than all the other horrors he's been involved in. But then I suppose in a way, it was completely out of character for Johnson, whereas none of the other bits have been, and that will make everyone concerned he's lost it. At the time of recording, there are just 11 cases of Omicron in the UK, with six of them in Scotland, which is not good for the SNP, as it shows that actually they do get a greater share of some things over the other British nations. Scottish First Minister and faulty candle Nicola Sturgeon wrote to Boris Johnson calling for an emergency Four Nations Cobra meeting, but I'm not sure how that would help when he probably wouldn't bother turning up. Vaccine boosters are being rolled out to all ages from 18 up and the gap from the second to the third jab has been reduced to three months, which is good, but just misses out on being able to promote them as part of Black Friday as then you could have announced that they were 100% off and people would have queued up in the masses to get one, probably even had a fight. Giant Angry Baby and Deputy Chief Medical Officer Jonathan Van Tam has said we shouldn't panic, but at the same time we should be aware of the weather forecast, which is great, thanks Jonathan, because now I'm really worried about a Covid variant and massive storms. Still, I'm sure in three weeks' time it'll all be over, just ready for Christmas. Then again, it's probably more likely that 2021 is yet another year where there's a different meaning to the season for giving. In other news, a review into the bridge between Northern Ireland and Scotland that Boris Johnson commissioned research into says that it'd be too expensive and the benefits do not outweigh the costs. So I'm sure the government will announce work starting on it next year. The costs will triple and it'll end up being just a collapsing pier off Donagadee. Labour MP and child from an 80s serial advert, Sarah Creasy, was told that babies are not allowed in the Commons. But if that's true, then who's going to do the next PMQs? She was informed it was against the rules to bring a child into a debate in Westminster Hall, but the Speaker is now asking a committee to review the rules. Good, because it'd be really great for kids to be able to see just how much more grown up they are than their parents. And lastly, Barbados is removing the Queen as its head of state and becoming the world's newest republic. Brilliant. I think there is something properly wonderful that a former colony of Britain will show us how sovereignty is actually done. Though, uh, I should say in Barbados, they are keeping some aspects of life under British rule, as on Tuesday, they will swear in their first Barbadian leader. And that is exactly what I do too when we get a new prime minister. Oh, Omnicron is so fun to say, isn't it? I keep messing it up so it sounds like Comic-Con. Om- Omnicon. Omnicron. Where, um, and, and I suppose it's kind of similar, isn't it? Because a lot of people do wear masks. Uh, so a San Diego Omnicron wouldn't be that different, I suppose. Um, it's the 15th letter of the Greek alphabet. You probably know that. Um, which then sort of in our alphabet then became O. It's O. So it's a bit odd to call a variant of concern a name that could just mean massive disinterest. Then again, judging by many people's response, um, maybe that is appropriate. I find it fascinating the conspiracy theorists have already got on the, oh yeah, just in time, they've manufactured this to ruin our Christmas. But I mean, Christmas being ruined would be awful for the government. It'd be terrible for businesses, travel companies, all the arseholes that normally cause all the other shit. I mean, you know, I don't think they'd want that somehow i think they're trying to avoid that i mean it really if wild tigers suddenly started appearing on the streets just before christmas and eating people it'd be far more likely that the conspiracy would be conservatives telling you to ignore the bite wounds and hundreds dead every day having been eaten in the midst of shopping for presents because we must still have a christmas for the children who've all been eaten as well and then on boxing day they'd announce oh actually it turns out these tigers are pretty dangerous you should never go outside again well until the january sales that's more likely how it would go so weird that you'd think they'd they're happy for anyway anyway how are you uh, i hope you're not too concerned about the new variant times not i've got to be careful i say it not because it isn't concerning and you shouldn't be careful oh no i am mass crusader over here matt tracker obviously because he had that big truck that turned into an attack station and never seemed to worry about parking which i think might cause me no end of stress where would you put it, it was huge sorry um where was i what i meant is it not about don't mean don't be concerned about the variant it probably is concerning what i mean is i hope it's not sort of sent you into a spiral of oh no this is happening all over again 
just like we predicted and probably expected because hopefully like me are just sort of hardened to this shit and you just sort of know that things are likely to be disappointing so it's a nice relief when it turns out that i don't know you know maybe the omicron variant just makes you release wind in the most inappropriate moments and then no one's gonna have a clue over christmas if they've got it or not um i've got my booster booked in for next week which i'm very excited about i think worryingly uh, i still have student mentality about anything free like just getting anything free um even when it's a vaccine jab and i just sort of i always worry that i'm going to turn up and blurt out like oh can i take a few to pop in the cupboard for a rainy sunday and then ask for some cuppa soups as well um i've got to not do that but before next week when i get my booster i'm going to be on at least eight to ten hours of train journey fun times heading to glasgow and back this week so i'm sure that sod's law says i'll catch at least five covids um then before my booster because the train is going to be full of people who believe that i know covid only exists on tv or that masks are some conspiracy and actually just a hammock for your mouth and make your opinions fall asleep or i don't know i might spread that one actually i quite like the idea of a mouth hammock could really use one after gigs when i've said too many words and just give my mouth nice comfy snooze hi there i've no clue what i'm on about this week um it's so cold that i've just spent a large portion of today trying to thaw my own face out which is is not fun um so i hope you you are warm and safe um thanks to you for being here um and you know patreon.com forward slash barbell bro review the show all that sort of jazz is nearly christmas after all um not much other admin this week apart from a heads up that next week is very unlikely to have a guest interviewee um not because of laziness okay partly because of laziness but also because i'm about to spend this week romping around glasgow uh to really tried to get Omicron early I say that I think I think it's just been announced there's more cases found in London it's clearly going to be more in England than Scotland it's just I feel like they got there first um, and I like being a trendsetter with these sorts of things um, there is also every chance uh, that Scotland's going to put in much greater sensible restrictions and safety measures than England as will Wales because I'm certain the real plan for independence is just to out survivors um, here which to be fair I think is very sensible um, so yeah probably no guests next week unless something happens um, and then one more week after that um then it will probably be me having a little break uh because i'm really god i'm really running out of descriptions for johnson i really hope they get rid of him soon i mean mainly because i fucking hate him and i just want i just oh god i hate him and the sake of the country but also blah 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 i really need someone else to describe and i just don't think i'm ever going to get better for johnson than windsock full of porridge or porn version of the dog from up how do you beat those too too good Right, um, on this week's show, I am doing a chat with Alice Marshman at Send Advocacy about the Send system in England. Yes, sorry, Wales and Scotland, Northern Ireland, but yet again, like last week, you're just going to have to suck it up that your care systems work better. I know it's hard to miss out on being included in this show, but if you want that to happen, you've just got to start massively neglecting your vulnerable citizens again. Um, okay? All right. Or oh, it's a no-go. Right, sorry, but that that is that, right? Um, there is a wee bit about the new amendments to the policing bill in the middle too, just to cheer you up. Oh, no, wait, sorry, I've read that wrong. Just to cheer you down. Yes. An MP you might not have heard of unless you're from the constituency of Colchester is Will Quince, an appropriately named human being for everything about his face suggests he's made of a very sour jelly. Quince is also the Parliamentary Undersecretary of State for Children and Families, a role that means he's currently in charge of the Send Review, which, funnily enough, isn't named that because it's looking into how quickly the government deliver necessary policies, because otherwise the very fact the Department of Education have sat on this since September 2019 would have provided its conclusion. SEND stands for Special Educational Needs and Disability, and in the last few years, children in that category have been ignored more than the Prime Minister's own. Demand for SEND statements, education, health and care plans have increased by nearly 500% in the last five years. And as Quince has said, COVID has intensified some of the issues with the SEND system, which must be why, like with all other things, the government have handled that intensity by ignoring it for ages and hoping it will eventually go away and everyone will just forget about it. It shouldn't be hard to make decisions on whether or not to support vulnerable children getting an education, but you have to remember that money is far more important than an effective system and a sense of humanity. There is hope that it will be done by early next year and a 23-person steering group was set up, though only one of them has ever worked in schools before, meaning the concerns are it won't actually do anything required of it and it'll probably just end up blaming parents and promising some money to spend on a cabinet minister's friend's company whose only experience is hitting send on an email. And meanwhile, families with send children aren't getting the support they need during a time where people with disabilities have been neglected the most. This week, I spoke to Alice Marshman at Send Advocacy, where she helps parents with Send children secure the support they need through their school life, which, as you'll hear, can often mean really lengthy legal battles with the council and far, far more stress than it should be to just make sure that your kid has an education. 
I asked Alice all about how the Send system is, if any of the budget announcements or upcoming review will make a difference, and just how she does what she does to support families and children. This was a really good conversation about an issue that, much like last week's, hasn't really been mentioned over the last year um, and, and a lot of people don't know about it unless they have to. So I hope you find this as informative as I did. Here is Alice. Hi Alice, thank you so much for coming on the podcast this week. Um, I think let's start at the very beginning I think and uh, I just wonder if you could sort of explain to me what the, the SEND system, the SEND system is and, and what it covers. Okay so SEND stands for Special Educational Needs and Disability and it's used to refer to children and young people from birth to 25 years who have a learning difficulty or disability and require additional support, what's called special educational provision, in order to access and or progress in education. And when we talk about the SEND system, or when I talk about it, it's specifically about England because the law is actually a bit different in the rest of the UK. So the SEND system is the legal framework that determines how this additional provision happens, essentially. Um, And the most recent figures, which are from 2020 to 21, show that there are around 1.4 million children out of a school age population of about 8 million, sorry, 9 million, identified as having said. So that equates to approximately 16% of the school age population, or roughly one in six children. Um, Right, which is is, is a lot more than people probably uh, would think I think if you didn't know yeah yeah it is a lot more because absolutely people kind of think of this as a a niche issue but it's really not so if you think in a school with a class of 30 you're looking at probably around five children in every class will have some percent and when we say sen what we're talking about here um is um four main areas which are broken down into cognition and learning communication and interaction social, emotional and mental health and sensory and physical. Um, And kids will often have more than one, so they'll fall into more than one category. Um, And if you're trying to think about what that might look like in practice, then it covers a huge range of different things like autism and ADHD, uh, specific learning difficulties like dyslexia and dyscalculia, physical disabilities like epilepsy, uh, learning disabilities like cerebral palsy, uh, and mental health issues like depression and anxiety. So you can see there that it's really huge. Um, and it's designed specifically to be broad and not to be limiting. So you don't need, for example, a diagnosis to qualify as having SEND. Uh, um, so with it covering such a sort of uh, wide range of needs, um, is is the current system... Uh, providing the level of support that that children and families need? How is the the system in England at the moment? And um, sort of along with that, has has the pandemic changed it and and how children with uh, special education needs were were affected by the school closures? Um, So how is the system? The system is pretty broken, sadly. Um, And this has been the situation for a while. So at the moment, the system is governed by the Children and Families Act, which came in in 2014. And that was itself a response to a review called the LAM Review in 2009, which identified a whole series of failings and called for a radical overhaul. Um, And that radical overhaul did take place, but it hasn't really resulted in the improvements that were hoped for. Um, And that's for a number of reasons. Um, Funding is a huge reason because the reforms of 2014 massively increased the duty on local authorities in terms of um, children who qualified as SEND. And it, so now, as I said before, it goes from birth to 25 years, but there was no increase in funding to meet those needs. Um, and also there's a culture among local authorities and schools and colleges, which doesn't really seem to understand what their legal duties are and how to meet them. So the SEND system is designed to meet the needs of children and young people in a school setting primarily or other educational setting and the idea is that there's essentially a two-tier system of support so the first tier is um, called SEND support and that is what schools and colleges have to do off their own back as it were they need to identify children or young people with SEND and then they need to put in place stuff to support them and they have to use what's called best endeavours, which means they do everything that they can 
to meet their needs. Um, and that could be things like um, making reasonable adjustments to where a child sits in class or specific numeracy and literacy interventions um, or bringing in outside professionals like educational psychologists and speech and language therapists to work with children or play therapists. Lots of schools have play therapists now. Um, and that is the expectation is that the overwhelming majority of children will receive that level of support. And in fact, out of the 1.4 million that I mentioned earlier, over a million children are supported in this way in schools. But there are lots of children for whom that level of support simply isn't enough. And those are the children who receive what's called an education and healthcare needs assessment, which then becomes, if um, it's felt that their needs are significant enough, becomes a needs uh, plan, education healthcare plan, which is what used to be called a statement, I think, when you and I were at school. Um, and that that is where a lot of the issues around the SEND system focus. It's the, the education and healthcare system plan, uh, how you get one, uh, what it involves, and um, the money that is going into supporting those children with the level of need that requires that intervention. Um, so, and is, is that, and I should sort of say that the, the SEND system, that kind of money allocated and and the funding allocated for that that is is that separate to the educational budget overall or is there are some of the issues that schools are having in implementing this to do with the fact that the schools as a whole are suffering from being underfunded yeah definitely so one of the issues is that uh, the first tier of support comes out of a school's own budget and schools get what is called a delegated grant from the government delegated schools grant and there is this thing which is called the notional send budget which the idea is that all schools should be able to fund the first six thousand pounds worth of special educational provision for all of their children in their care but that money doesn't exist in a separate pot it's just part of their overall budget and it's calculated on the basis of historic send so if one year a school only had five children that they identified as having send and the next year they had ten their budget is going to be based on the previous year. So you can already see what the issue is. And that's awful. Yeah. And also um, the schools are not required to ring fences. So um, they, so that's designed to give them flexibility, but it it does mean that that money might just not exist because the school might need to use that national budget to fix a roof, for example. Um, So that's a real issue. Um, So, but there's the real crunch point that I deal with is, children whose schools can't meet their needs and either the school or the parents apply to the local authority um, for a needs assessment to identify what their needs are if it's not clear and what support is is required and any child that goes to a specialist provision or a resource base is going to have an education and healthcare plan because you can't really access that sort of provision without one. I mean, there are certain circumstances in which you can, but it's very unusual. Like 98% of children in the special school will have a plan. Um, and it's the local authority who is obliged to fund that additional support, that second tier level of support. Um, but, and, and it's a big, but it's also the local authority that identifies those children that need that level of support. So you can see something of an inherent conflict because it is perversely um, an incentive for the local authority to deny that a child might need support because then they won't have to fund it. But obviously, then that leads to a situation where if you as a parent um, feel that your child isn't getting enough support and the local authority is denying that your child has these needs, then you get into very quickly an adversarial relationship with the very people who are supposed to be helping you. Um, and that is very wow. difficult. Yeah. So. That's, yeah. That's, I mean, and also with a system where if, as you said, it's based on previous uh, sort of his, historic uh, send cases or historic children with, with special educational needs in the school, the previous years, does that not, mean that you're always kind of catching up if they're if if a school isn't suitable for a child it won't then be suitable the following year if children don't go there with that need and they adapt to it yeah you know they they always i mean rather rather than making a school uh compliant to to help all children with same mobility issues or with certain needs you're constantly waiting until those children come along which then must make it very difficult for parents in choosing schools or, or finding schools 
suitable for their children. It does, yeah. And what tends to happen is that schools will just raid other parts of their budget in order to make the provision if they can, um, because obviously their duty is to the child. And most schools, you know, they are trying really hard, although they quite often don't get it right. Um, and ironically what seems tends to happen is those schools that go above and beyond then get a local reputation for being very SEN friendly and so more SEN parents will send their kids there but that's not always reflected in the money because even the notional budget even if it's actually there still often isn't enough to meet the needs of those children so again schools have a disincentive to be SEN friendly because then they end up with a larger SEND cohort that need more support, but they don't get the funding to meet that. Um, so it is something of a vicious circle, really. Um, and in the middle of this, obviously, are the children and their parents who are just trying desperately to get an education and, and an education that, that works for them. Um, yeah. And I think you asked earlier about the pandemic, because obviously yes, the pandemic's yeah. been really hard for everybody. But for children with SEND and their families, it's been particularly difficult because for a lot of families, even if they had support, that support disappeared overnight. Um, and Ofsted recently did a report that came out in June looking at what happened to children um, over the pandemic. Um, it was yeah, Ofsted and the Care Quality Commission. Um, and they found that many children um, just lost all the therapies which allowed them to function essentially and so if they weren't having speech and language therapy that had a direct impact upon their ability to communicate um, in everyday life not just for education or um, they didn't have um, the occupational therapy that they might need in order to to move um, and to regulate um, and that just went for a lot of families and didn't really come back <laughs> so that meant that as well as not being able to go to school they couldn't often they couldn't live in the way that they had done before because there was just no support there um, uh, unfortunately the conclusion of that report seems to be that the law needs to be reformed which I would argue isn't actually the case the law is fine it's, it's a good law the Children and Families Act is a child-centred law but and it is a huge but it just hasn't been funded or implemented properly and there's a massive accountability gap in terms of where local authorities fail to um, fulfill their legal duties nothing really happens um, wow well wow, that's so i mean and, and i'm assuming as well that once school started going again it would have been sort of uh, send children that might have had difficulties in returning because of vulnerabilities to infection or, or various other issues you know it, it, yeah that would have affected those children more and probably meant that they weren't it took them longer to get back into the education system oh absolutely the transition was really difficult um because lots of children have been out of education for a year 18 months um and although 10 children were prioritized in the lockdowns and they was supposed to be able to go to schools particularly in the first lockdown lots of them didn't because lots of special schools simply closed they just shut they were like we can't we can't do this um and that left um a huge gap um and for a lot of children who are autistic which is a, a really large proportion of children with um send actually um especially with education and healthcare plans i think it's something like half of all the kids are autistic that loss of routine and structure was massive and getting back in um, is, a, is a really big issue as well so yeah absolutely that was a, a massive problem um, and it's still being felt the repercussions are ongoing yeah okay I mean it's, it's, it's sort of uh, being reported more and more just how disproportionately affected uh, people with disabilities were over the pandemic and, and how largely forgotten uh, they were yeah. and uh, I mean again it seems similar case with just sort of not hearing about the, the kids uh who, who had to go through that too um i mean one of the sort of we'll, we'll find out if this was hopeful or not but the budget announcements kind of had a lot about uh helping um send services didn't they mm. it was about it was a big thing about additional funding for thirty thousand special school places um i think there was a lot of money uh for family hubs that won't quite replace the short start centers <laughs> that closed uh, 10 years before um are any of those uh are any of those sort of hope for are there any of those that when you heard them you think this is um this could kind of lead to a, a better a better system 
Oh, well, more money is always good. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the, the capital um, funding is definitely a, a, a step forward, but it is ultimately about buildings and fixtures and fittings, which is not the whole story when it comes to send. So it's great that there are going to be new schools, but there need to be people in those schools to provide the teaching and the therapies. Um, and so if the money isn't found for those people, then the schools, kind of like the Nightingale hospitals, <laughs> are just going to lie empty. They're going to be really beautiful white elephants. Um, and most local authorities, the funding for the staff comes from the high needs budget, which has been massively underfunded for many years now. And there's been a crisis in many local authorities, including my own in, in Bristol, um, where there's a huge deficit and they're just spending money and borrowing from other parts of the local authority budget. Um, so, yes, it's great that there is this capital funding, but without additional funding to staff those shiny new buildings, it's hard to see if it's going to achieve what, what is being hoped. Um, and then also education in this country is is complete minefield. And because of the various reforms that the government's done over the years, local authorities are actually quite circumscribed in how they can set up new schools. So they can't do it themselves anymore. It has to either be a free school or through an existing academy chain. Um, and so they can't just decide that they have a, a need for places in their area and then use this capital funding to build it. They have to go through this rather torturous process of identifying a academy that wants to build a school or finding a people who want to make a free school special school and then funding them so it, it it's not as easy as you might expect for these schools to be built in the existing framework about how schools get built in, in England yeah so they can't just be you can't have a, a special school built I, I, I have no <laughs> idea that's the case so you can't have a special school built through uh, local government anymore it has to go through uh, sort of private interest it has to go through free school or academy. You can't have any schools built, no other... right? No, local authorities oh, have, have lost the ability. Yes, yeah. it's a huge issue because they are legally responsible for ensuring that there are schools for all the children in their area, but they are legally prevented from building those schools themselves. <laughs> so, that yeah. That is shocking. And especially because there's such a shortage of school, like there's not, you know, every classroom's, uh, there's too many children in each classroom. You know, it's there's not enough places and they've not got the ability to... Wow, I had no idea. That's uh, incredible. yeah, yeah. Um, yes, incredible is definitely I mean, one word for it. <laughs> word. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was a, <laughs> I mean, it's probably not the right word. Um, that's shocking because I mean that that was the other thing I wanted to ask you. That you know, there's one part of this is the send system and 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 funding that correctly. But as we mentioned before, the education system isn't funded, and as we really, you know, as you just explained, they can't even build schools without jumping over a number of hurdles. And but also. You know, we've seen cuts to universal credit. We've seen uh, sort of carers' allowances never uh, decreased. If anything, you know, we, we, there's a, a huge lack of funding towards um, helping people with disabilities overall. So is the SEND system kind of enough on its own? Or, you know, do we need to... Will, will anything change uh, before we see, a, you know, more funding to people with disabilities in general? It's not enough on its own. Um, but if it was better, it would make a huge difference to the lives of um, disabled children and their families. Um, one of the aims of the Children and Families Act was to try and join up uh, the disparate areas which affect disabled children. So as well as education, the idea was that health and social care would be integrated into the plan, which is why they're called education and healthcare plans. And there would be co-production and the idea was that NHS and the social care element of the local authority would be working with the education element because it was recognised that children's progress is directly influenced and impacted by these other areas as well as education. But unfortunately, um, this hasn't happened. And so these various departments continue to operate in silos. Um, and as you say, Disabled people have been largely forgotten in the pandemic and disabled children are more likely to live in poverty. And one of the reasons for that is almost certainly because if you have a child that is struggling at school or out of school um, as a parent, then your ability to work is going to be severely limited. Um, and so cuts to welfare benefits and difficulties with universal credit and ha the housing benefit system, they do impact because if you are a child, for example, living in a family where you've got younger siblings and because of the benefits cap, those younger siblings don't get 
um, child benefit and because of the bedroom tax you can't live in a house that actually has enough space to meet your needs you won't have somewhere that you could perhaps work in order to do the, the schoolwork that you need and your parents are probably going to be quite stressed because that living situation is takes a mental toll um, and that can't be fixed through the SEND system alone no but um, certainly if the SEND system were better it would remove a really large area of stress from all those families um, I, I recently read a book which I really recommend by Luke Clements uh, called Clustered Injustice, which talks about um, the way that disadvantaged people have failed by the emphasis on trying to look at problems discreetly as if they exist in isolation from each other and then coming up with what are frequently legalistic answers. And the same system is a good example of this because, yes, it's important to have legal rights, but ultimately what we really need are fewer lawyers and more social workers and more teachers and more therapists right it's it's always the answer in my view that we need fewer lawyers and I speak as a lawyer but you know <laughs> it I, lawyers are necessary essentially in this area because things have gone wrong um and if there was more support there then they, they wouldn't be required and, and looking at things in terms of rights doesn't always help when what actually people need is an understanding of the interrelated and independent interdependent rather than independent problems that they have and how a family where they have children with send are probably also going to have issues around physical and mental health difficulties there's going to be caring responsibilities there might be racism in the mix um because um families from ethnic minorities um are disproportionately represented um, in some of the SEND statistics and children with SEND are disproportionately excluded from schools and minority ethnic children are also disproportionately um, excluded from schools and you can see how these all interact but if you look at them in isolation you're never going to get to find the solutions that those families need. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. And we'll be back with Alice in a minute, but first... Sometimes having extra things added for free is a bonus. You know, this chocolate has 15% extra free. That's a win. Buy 12, get another 12 for free, even though you'll never get through that many lawnmowers. But the Police Crime Sentencing and Courts Bill has had some new laws added to it in the last week that, if anything, for me, make it even less appealing uh, in what I can only describe as anti-marketing. Oh, don't get me wrong, the fact that it was already looking like it would make protesting illegal, racially discriminate against certain communities and make it so writing arse on a statue of a mass murderer would get you a worse sentence than they had. Um, you know, it was already one of the bills on a very long list of bills that are increasing an authoritarian atmosphere in this country, and I was not a fan. Um, no, Bill Murray isn't on that list. Neither is Bill Nighy. Don't worry. Bill Gates? Yeah, he probably, probably is. Almost certainly. But now, on top of the scary boot of new laws, and just as the bill is in its final stages before being made law, the government have snuck in even more powers for the police, which after the last year is like deciding there should be even more eating after midnight for Mugwise. Wait, that is a really unfair comparison to Mugwise, because they are at least endearing at first. 
These new bits include new stop and search laws, meaning the police could stop and search you whether or not the constable has any grounds for suspecting the person is carrying a prohibited object. Yeah, I mean, previously, stop and search, which all evidence says is not effective and disproportionately targets young black men, previously the cop had to at least have reasonable grounds for suspecting you had a weapon or a really old phone or whatever it is that caused offence. I mean, their idea of reasonable often wasn't as well. But now they don't even need those grounds because they'll just be able to search to avoid serious disruption or public nuisance. Even though I'd say there's no public nuisance quite like the police stopping and searching people, they have absolutely zero reason to. If you don't give yourself up to it, though, you face imprisonment for up to a year. Yeah, great way to alleviate an overcrowded prison and court system. Nice one, everyone. Uh, then there's a whole bit that's apparently targeted at insulate Britain protests. You know, those bastards who like the planet to survive. Jesus fucking Christ. What are they like? Once the bill passes, it'll be a criminal offence to willfully obstruct a highway, which on the plus side, I hope, will take out a lot of middle lane drivers. Um, and also, it'll be illegal to obstruct any major transport works too. And locking on will be illegal, which means either attaching yourself to a person, an object or to land, or carrying equipment that facilitates that. But it's pretty vague, so locking on or attaching could mean supergluing yourself to something or chaining yourself to something, or potentially, I suppose, getting married at a protest if someone were to deem your wedding an annoyance, which, having been to quite a lot of weddings, that's very plausible. And then there's SDPOs, which sound like a shit-forgotten droid from Star Wars, but are actually a serious disruption prevention order, which can be given to anyone convicted of a protest-related offence. Which could mean, well, I mean, an absolute ton of things. And the definition says it can be imposed on people whose activities were likely to result in serious disruption. Yeah, proper minority report level stuff, where you don't actually have to have caused a crime or disruption, but you just might have caused a crime or disruption. I mean, isn't that, isn't that everyone? Isn't that all of us? We all might have caused shit. And not only does this terrifyingly mean you can get nabbed if it's suspected that you're a future disruptor, but also, wow, it really, really limits potential. That's really put a dampener on my future prospects. If you do get an SDPO, then you can have restrictions placed on you from meeting certain people, going to certain places, carrying certain things, and even posting about protests online. If you even retweet about a protest, you can be given an SDPO in theory. Hopefully, of course, the freedom of speech lot who are livid about cancel culture will be up in arms about this any second now. Any second. No? Guys? They are mostly guys. Guys? No? weird. I mean, this is going to kill off protesting. I mean, it won't. People will find other ways and I'm all for an underground protest scene myself. Possibly illegal speakeasies where you do actually speak easy and someone keeps a watch out for the popo so they don't hear you holding a placard. Seriously though, um, this is terrifying and there is some talk that it may well breach the UN Convention of Human Rights so there could be a legal challenge to the bill about legal things, which would just be quite incredible when you think about it. But there's also several things that this government have done that breach the UN Convention, so who knows if it will make a difference. The bill is now in the Lords, so they may make amendments too, though Conservative majority in the Commons would probably overturn that. So what is left to do? Well, protest about it, I suppose. And there's still some time before it passes, so maybe, maybe we all need to attach ourselves to the bill as it leaves Westminster for royal assent, and then it won't be able to go anywhere or get passed. And now, back to Alice. So, with that in mind, I mean, what are the... You know, we've we've currently got a government that seems to care very little for the sort of human side of things, um, uh, or in fact, the detail of things. You know, what what are the next steps that that need to happen for improving the sense system? If there are listeners hearing this, that are like, what, how do we, you know, what what can we do in order to help Im- improve this? Maybe where we are. Um, what would you recommend? And also, I wonder if you could tell me a bit about what, what you specifically do at Send Advocacy. Well. Um- the SEND review was launched in 2019, which was only five years after they introduced the reforms of the Children and Families Act. And that review was looking at essentially what had gone wrong. Um, we're still waiting for that review to be published. Uh, the pandemic obviously has uh, delayed matters. But really what is necessary is for the existing law to be properly implemented and accountability structures so that local authorities follow the law and schools follow the law and they understand what they're supposed to do to help children and parents and carers aren't forced into this invidious situation of having to literally take the local authority to court in order to get the education that their child is legally entitled to Um, because I think something like 95% of um, court cases tribunal cases are either conceded or won conceded by local authorities or won by parents in the SEND system and that was a few years ago Um, And I don't think the figures have have changed very much, but it's not really a win when you're just securing the rights that you've been entitled to from the beginning. And in a situation in which while you're going through the process, your child is 
missing out on what they should have already had. So in terms of what, what needs to happen, that that's what needs to happen. And a local authority doesn't follow the law and needs to face some sanctions. And at the moment, they really don't. Um, and it's not just about money. Obviously, money is huge and there needs to be more of it invested. But also it's about culture because some things aren't about how much funding the authority or the school has. It's about understanding what, for example, inclusivity actually means. So treating children fairly doesn't mean you have to treat everybody the same I mean there are some really small things like adapting uniform policies or detention policies or behavior policies you know things you you think you're just doing this as a matter of course but schools seem to really double down on this idea that everybody needs to be treated the same and that's what equality is about but anyone who has even a vague understanding of the Equality Act from 2010 knows that that's just not true at all. Um, So as well as funding, there has to be a recognition by schools and local authorities about what it is that children with SEND actually need. Um, So yeah, so in terms of what I do, so I set up the company SEND Advocacy after I went through the education healthcare plans process for my own son who is autistic and has ADHD and I found it really difficult and stressful and I was embarrassed for many years so I can't imagine what parents without legal training um, make of it Um, because it is really complex and also when you're going through it it's a bit like if you're going through a divorce and you're having to deal with um, legal proceedings you're already in a really sort of crisis-like situation like you're not at your best you're not at your most on it and then suddenly you're having to deal with um lawyers and for um complex decisions on behalf of your child which feels as though if you don't get it right then you've basically ruined their life I mean I know that sounds quite uh, dramatic but uh, education is so important um, and it can really feel like you've got this one chance and you've got to do it right because because your whole family is depending on it Um, so I set it up because I've watched other people struggle to do it on their own or spend literally thousands or tens of thousands of pounds paying solicitors to do it um, for them because legal aid is almost impossible to secure these days. Um, so I wanted to provide a service based on my personal experience and also my quali- my legal experience because I, as I said I was a litigator. Um, so that I could help people going through this. Um, so I sit sort of somewhere between a charity and a solicitor's firm, um, sort of more towards the charity end in terms of cost. Um, and I think that what another thing I wanted to bring was a level of understanding from not just a theoretical perspective about how the system works, but also from a real one, having gone through it myself. Um, and so I do all the stuff that solicitors do, essentially. But also, I but what I can what I do, which I hadn't really appreciated when I started, but which someone talked to me about quite recently, was I validate and hold space for people's lived experience because the system is so dysfunctional that many parents and carers start to doubt themselves because they are essentially repeatedly gaslighted by being told that their children don't have needs or they don't have. Um, severe enough needs to warrant any support or that what they're asking for is essentially the moon on a stick Um, and that can be really hard and I am able to say to them no actually what you're saying is correct this isn't true what you're being told is not correct and I will help you get what your child is entitled to Um, and that can just be a huge relief to have someone actually hear you and acknowledge what you've been going through and then sort of say I can step up and support you um and and when you're asking someone for support when you're asking the local authority to help you and they are denying that you need that help that is cognitively very disorientating because it you're 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 looking to someone whose entire purpose in this area is to support you but yet they seem to be doing everything they can to not support you um that's really hard to reconcile I think as a parent um, and, and, and decisions are often made which bear no relation to reality and which are utterly 
untenable um, and, and ultimately collapsed in front of tribunals, hence the statistics that I quoted earlier. But they will be cleaved to for months or even years by local authorities in the face of all evidence, um, which is really stressful. So, yeah, so that's what I do, essentially. <laughs> Yeah, which which is absolutely amazing, absolutely amazing that you do that, and I think it's it's just it's it's I mean, the fact that so many cases collapse, and and also you know, and I know that's not by any means the priority. The priority is, is the children and their lives, but also the legal system is blocked up with a backlog of cases right now, and none of this can be helping if they're having to deal with cases that shouldn't be put forward in the first place. If you know people were given the care that. They needed. Yes, that's, absolutely. That's a completely bizarre thing to do that of just how many systems this kind of incompetency or, or perhaps ignorance of, of, as you say, people's lived experiences affects so many different areas of of public service, which is it really does. Yeah, bonkers. It yeah. is, um, and it's a huge waste of resources. Um, I mean, we're talking like local authorities spend millions of pounds defending these cases. Um, which from one perspective makes sense because some of the provision is really expensive. And if you can delay it for six months or a year, then you will probably save more than it costs you to defend the case, which is a hugely cynical way to look at it. But I've been doing this for a while now and it, it, it's really difficult to see it in any other way because so often you get to the door of the tribunal and then the local authority just backs down and says, yes, you can have, everything you said your child needed but you know your child needed that six months ago or a year ago and in that time they've deteriorated massively because also when you're dealing with children six months or a year is a really long time for children massive. right it's a massive amount of time um and you just never get that time back right um and parents and carers do not want to be spending their time in, in battling local authorities to secure things for their children it, it's just not how any of us want to be spending our lives no one goes into being a parent imagining this is what you're going to be doing it, it's heartbreaking and soul destroying um yeah yeah it really is it really is well, well thank you for, for having time to, to talk to me this week and um uh, you know the last question which is what i ask every uh, interview on here is apart from yourself and and sent advocacy um you know who are the people you go to for info in in, in regards to either send services or just services for for children and families um or, or politics in general what are the sites charities and people that you'd recommend listeners check out well for send um there are two national charities that do absolutely amazing work one is ipsy which is the independent provider of special educational advice and the other is SOS SEN and they have um, a wealth of freely available information for parents and carers of children with SEN and I would thoroughly recommend people um, check out their websites and they're on Twitter as well uh, and Facebook I think and then um, I have found an amazing source of support is communities um, online who which is then transferred into real life but uh, particularly on Facebook loath as I am to recommend that particular platform but um other parents going through the same situation can be just an amazing lifeline in terms of not just support emotional support which is massively important but also in terms of practical information about what the situation is on the ground um and there is definitely strength in numbers in this area i would say so i would i would definitely recommend that if anyone um, is concerned that their child or young person in their family might have sent and doesn't know where to start I would definitely say go to IPSA, IPSI and SOS SEM but also um, look for um, send communities on Facebook in your local area because there are people there who have amazing amounts of knowledge um, and who can really be transformative. Thanks so much to Alice for letting me interview her. And you can find Send Advocacy at sendadvocacy.com and Send Advocacy Limited on Twitter, Facebook and LinkedIn. Big thank you to Rhiannon for recommending I speak to Alice too. It's probably a guest-free week next week um, and then not many more before a Christmas break. So who shall I talk to in 2022? Well, that sounds nice to say, doesn't it? Who shall I talk to in 2022? Let's get that. I'm really quite pleased myself anyway thoughts suggestions haikus charcoal sketches floor arrangements uh, send any of those or preferably just the first two to partly political broadcast at gmail.com and that's all folks for this week's jokes and you know serious interviews um doesn't 
have the same sort of Looney Tunes ring that last bit, does it? I will work on that. Um, as I always say, because, hey, I can't take you lot for granted, can I? Thank you for listening to the Partly Political Broadcast Podcast, Broadcast, Podcast, Broadcast, Podcast. And if you are a fan of this show, do shout about it in the streets or preferably don't upset the streets and just tell people you know and like about it instead. Join the patreon.com forward slash bro and give us a shiny five-star review on Apple Podcasts or the like. If you aren't a fan, um, well done for listening all the way to this bit of the show. Uh, You are too hard on yourself, but I will take the stat of your listen and treasure it always, or at least until next week. Go ma woe to Acast, my brother-in-law sceptic and Cat Day. And this will be back next week when the government announced the severity of Omicron means they will have to step up their response and leave it for maybe just two weeks instead of three and then put a reminder in their calendar to ask someone else to do something about it. Bye! This week's show is sponsored by San Diego Omnicron. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.